This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome back to another episode of the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice podcast, bringing you news, views and updates in diabetes care. This series is CME accredited and this episode is accredited for up to 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credits. So to claim your credits, go to diabetes.knowledgeandpractice.com to complete a pre and post activity assessment. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who have had no influence on the content or the choice of faculty. Cardiovascular disease, or CVD, is the leading cause of death among individuals with type 2 diabetes. But efforts to identify new and effective risk reduction strategies are providing new data and updates to guidelines. We'll in this episode summarise the latest literature and guidelines, providing an update of the changes since our last episode on this topic, which aired in 2021. Later on, we'll speak to this week's expert, Professor Naveed Sattar. He's Professor of Metabolic Medicine at the Institute of Cardiovascular and Medical Sciences at the University of Glasgow, as well as an honorary consultant in metabolic medicine at the Glasgow Royal Infirmary in Scotland. Cardiovascular outcomes associated with type 2 diabetes include ischemic heart disease, heart failure, stroke, coronary artery disease and peripheral arterial disease. Together, complications from CVD account for over 50% of type 2 diabetes deaths. To assist with risk management of CVD in people with type 2 diabetes, the 2021 European Society of Cardiology or ESC guidelines on cardiovascular disease prevention in clinical practice have established CVD risk categories. The guidelines categorise all individuals with controlled short-standing diabetes, meaning less than 10 years, as at moderate risk for CVD. Those with uncontrolled diabetes or who have had diabetes for over 10 years are categorised as high risk and those with any atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and or severe target organ damage are categorised at very high risk. This then helps to establish specific treatment targets for these patients, which for the moderate risk category are lifestyle interventions and ending any smoking habits. CVD prevention goals for the high-risk category include systolic blood pressure under 130 millimetres of mercury if tolerated, LDLC under 2.6 millimoles per litre and HbA1c under 53 millimoles per mole. For very high-risk patients, LDLC is targeted to under 1.8 millimoles per litre and HbA1c under 64 millimoles per mole while SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist agents are recommended along with antiplatelet therapy for CVD. The guidelines also have recommendations for stepwise intensification of therapy for the high and very high risk categories if needed. This includes more aggressive blood pressure, lipid and HbA1c targets and offering SGLT2 inhibitors or GLP-1 receptor agonist agents to those at moderate risk as well as considering newer and upcoming treatments such as dual antiplatelet therapy, dual pathway inhibition, colchicine and icosapent ethyl for those at very high risk. Keeping the patient at the centre of care is a message emphasised by all the latest guidelines, including the discussed 2021 ESCE guidelines on cardiovascular disease prevention in clinical practice, the 2022 American Diabetes Association or ADA standards of care, and the 2022 consensus draft statement by the ADA jointly with the European Association for the Study of Diabetes, or EASD. To help personalise care, the 2021 ESC guidelines suggest the use of risk refinement models such as ADVANCE, UKPDS and DIAL for use in individuals with type 2 diabetes, 
which generally consider HbA1c levels, duration of diabetes and presence of target organ damage. The 2022 ADA Standards of Care also provides specific recommendations for patients with multiple risk factors for atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, or ASCVD, along with type 2 diabetes, recommending initial therapy with an SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonist which have a proven cardiovascular benefit, and that using both of these classes may be considered. The Standards of Care specify the use of agents with proven benefit in people with ASCVD, which are the SGLT2 inhibitors empagliflozin and canagliflozin, and the GLP-1 receptor agonists dulaglutide, liraglutide and semaglutide, while exenatide and lixisenatide are listed as being neutral. The ADA-EASD consensus draft also recommends initial treatment with either of these agents when the goal is to reduce patient CVD risk, and that potential intensification of treatment can be performed through adding the other agent to the therapy. SGLT2 inhibitors are also recommended by the ADA 2022 Standards of Care and the 2021 ESC Guidelines on Cardiovascular Disease Prevention when a patient has both type 2 diabetes and heart failure to prevent against heart failure outcomes. The most recent Phase 3 Cardiovascular and Renal Outcomes trial looking at GLP-1 receptor agonists was published in 2021 by Herzl Gerstein and colleagues and showed that risk of cardiovascular events was lower among patients with type 2 diabetes receiving the investigational agent epiglenotide compared to the group receiving placebo, providing the first evidence that an exendin-4-based analogue provides cardiovascular benefit. This trial data was also included in a recently published meta-analysis by Naveed Sattar and colleagues which showed that GLP-1 receptor agonists, regardless of structural homology, have a positive effect on cardiovascular outcomes, including reducing hospital admission for heart failure, individual major adverse cardiovascular event components, as well as all-cause mortality. So does this now shift how we look at reducing risk of cardiovascular disease in type 2 diabetes? Let's now start our interview with Professor Sitar, who's Professor of Metabolic Medicine at the Institute of Cardiovascular and Medical Sciences at the University of Glasgow and Honorary Consultant in Metabolic Medicine at the Glasgow Royal Infirmary in Scotland. His disclosures are available in the episode notes. So firstly, you were a co-author of the 2021 ESC guidelines on cardiovascular disease prevention, which recommend a full systematic CVD risk assessment for all people with diabetes. Could you briefly summarise this approach? So patients with type 2 diabetes should all undergo a sort of step one where we advise to stop smoking and give them the best advice we can and lifestyle recommendations, class one. And we aim for a hemoglobin A1C less than 53 millimoles per mole or less than 7%. Again, that's class one. Then we subdivide the patients into those patients without established ASCVD or severe target organ damage or with uh, established ASCVD or severe target organ damage. Those patients without, we can further um, subdivide into patients at high risk or moderate risk. And the reality is the vast, vast majority of patients will be at high risk. And in those patients who are at high risk, we aim for a systolic blood pressure sort of between 130 to 140 if tolerated and an LDL cholesterol below 2.6 um, using statins. So for really the majority of patients with type 2 diabetes who do not have existing established disease, ACE inhibitors or ARBs to get them to a reasonable blood pressure target and statins again to get them to a reasonable LDL target. So that, that is the key part of step one uh, in patients without. And those patients with established cardiovascular disease, we 
not only have those blood pressure targets, we also think about antithrombotic therapy. We also consider a more or severe LDL target of below 1.8 millimoles per liter or greater than 50% reduction in LDL. And we consider patients who have established ASCVD and target organ damage, we consider them for SGLT2 inhibitor or a GLP-1 receptor agonist, um, depending on their profile. So that is really the kind of first major step that we um, undertake for our patients with diabetes. Now, the guidelines also recommend a stepwise approach to treatment intensification. How would you determine the appropriate moment to intensify the treatment of a patient with type 2 diabetes to reduce their cardiovascular risk? Okay, what we now recognize is that once, for example, patients without ASCVD or target organ damage are established on an antihypertensive and LDL uh, uh, target below 2.6 on a statin, what is the residual risk for cardiovascular disease? And to establish those, we have a number of risk scores. We have the advanced risk score to look at 10-year risk. We can also use the dial risk score to look at lifetime CBD risk and potential treatment benefit. Um, and then we also consider other things like comorbidities and frailty. But if the patient, for example, despite moderate dose statin, antihypertensive, they have a high 10-year risk, which is still remaining, we, we can then use those risk scores to determine that risk and then further push LDL targets to below 1.8 or, or systolic blood pressure targets to below 130 if tolerated. And we can consider the addition of SGLT2 inhibitor or GLP-1 receptor agonists in those patients without ASCVD or severe target organ damage who would warrant further aggressive treatment, such as I've mentioned, to further lower the risk because they are, they are telling, their risk factors are telling us that the risk remains high despite the sort of um, usual therapies that we place uh, uh, that we that we give our patients with diabetes. So there's a kind of stepwise approach and we use risk scores. I think there will be further development in those risk scores because Advance was developed many years ago, uh, as was UKPDS, and there is ongoing uh, efforts to improve risk scoring in people with diabetes so that it makes it homogeneous across many communities around the world. And then with those patients with ASCVD, we also have a stepwise approach, which again is a bit more complex, but I think it again involves um, further lowering blood pressure, LDL, uh, and also considering some other novel therapies to lower cardiovascular disease. So we have a stepwise approach in patients both with and without uh, established ASCVD or severe target organ damage. Thank you. Moving on, the 2021 meta-analysis by you and your colleagues in the Lancet Diabetes and Endocrinology looked at the effects of GLP-1 receptor agonists on cardiovascular outcomes. What were your key takeaways from this paper and what do you think it means for the wider field? The meta-analysis that we published, um, I think, has been useful because it provided the best up-to-date evidence, including eight trials, uh, cardiovascular outcome trials and GLP-1 receptor agonists. And I think overall, it shows as a class, GLP-1 receptor agonists do lower uh, ASCVD quite convincingly. The evidence what seemed to be best for stroke, the risk reduction was of the order of so 18 to 19%, depending on um, whether we included the ELIXIR trial or not. Uh, but that benefit was also clear for patient, for cardiovascular deaths, for myocardial infarction. So really benefits across the, all of the kind of MACE categories was evident. And I think that's very reassuring. Um, the, we also were able to show that the GLP-1 receptor agonist, regardless of structural homology, had benefits. And also that the, there was a reduced risk of all-cause mortality, as well as um, suggestive evidence of a reduction in the risk for hospital admission for heart failure 
and worsening kidney function in patients with type 2 diabetes. The latter has been further extended by post-hoc studies published since our meta-analysis that suests that GLP-1 receptor agonists slow the decline in EGFR, um, which is in keeping with what the SGLT2 inhibitors do, but perhaps they do it less well than the SGLT2 inhibitors. And there are ongoing trials like the FLOW trial, which will further investigate that. And finally, I would say that you know, these results are really encouraging. Um, clearly, GLP-1 receptor agonists are now in the guidelines firmly established in those patients with existing sort of established cardiovascular disease and also patients with evidence for high risk based on different sort of criteria. And we are also waiting for a number of other trials, perhaps particularly SELECT, which is uh, semaglutide in patients without diabetes, but who are living with a high BMI and cardiovascular disease, and the surplus trial, which is tazepatide, um, looking at patients, uh, again, with diabetes and established cardiovascular disease, but comparing tazepatide versus dulaglutide. And that trial becomes interesting because tazepatide has a much greater weight benefit, as does high-dose semaglutide. So we will see whether GLP-1 or GLP-1-GIP um, combinations, which have big weight loss, have additional benefits on top of the background of GLP-1 receptor agonists on established cardiovascular disease. So I think there's a lot of exciting things happening uh, in the in this field, but clearly GLP-1 receptor agonists are now established as a class to help prevent further cardiovascular disease in patients with diabetes. Thank you. And is there any other advice you'd offer to diabetes professionals in helping to manage their patients' cardiovascular risk? I think the key things about prevent or preventing cardiovascular disease in patients with diabetes is, in a sense, do the simple things first. Uh, remember, statins have substantial benefit in patients with diabetes. Um, also remember that treating blood pressure with ACE, ARB, or calcium channel blockers. And what we now know is that we um, combine blood pressure therapy uh, is actually the best. Uh, you know, using an ACARB plus or minus a calcium channel or a diuretic as required. The combination therapy at lower doses is better than one single therapy. And, and also the availability of cheap metformin in many parts of the world is also helpful. So, you know, if you have a patient with diabetes, you are doing them substantial benefit by giving them a statin, treating their blood pressure with a combination therapy and giving them metformin. For those patients who have established a disease, clearly there are more aggressive uh, therapies, which we've already discussed. But for those patients, uh, even at baseline without disease, if they are deemed to be of high risk, there are now guidelines that are pushing early use of SGLT2 inhibitors in those patients because of their additional benefits beyond glucose lowering and even independent of glucose lowering to protect the kidneys and the heart um, that also have benefits. So you know, some of our patients will perhaps first line or second line be receiving SGLT2 inhibitors. So that's, so I think simple things can go a long way in patients with diabetes. The other thing I would say to my colleagues is also don't forget about weight loss, uh, which can be achieved by dietary methods. We showed that in the, in the direct trial. And substantial weight loss can really improve glycemia, can cause diabetes remission in a small proportion. But as along with remission of diabetes, their blood pressure and lipids can also improve substantially. So if a patient is really motivated to lose substantial amount of weight and undergo remission, that will have substantial benefits for them, both in terms of glycemia, but also cardiovascular risk factors. That means that they may require far less therapies, both now and in the future, and have substantial benefits for them. So 
Don't forget lifestyle benefits. We have got better tools to help lifestyle benefits, but we've also got lots of simple drugs can achieve a lot for our patients. And of course, remember the stepwise for those patients who deserve more aggressive therapy dependent on residual risk. And finally, what would be your takeaway message from this interview? My takeaway messages are the following is that we now understand better the link between diabetes and cardiovascular risk. We now have at our disposable at our disposal more tools to prevent cardiovascular disease in patients with diabetes and more tools to determine those patients who have high residual risk. And we should use these tools appropriately, become familiar with them, um, understand their, their, their strengths and limitations and use them appropriately in the right patient at the right time. I should also say that at early on in diabetes, and I think this is now being promoted by future guidelines, that we shouldn't just concentrate on glycemia. We need to think about lipid lowering, blood pressure lowering, but we also need to think more about weight loss because the remission trials and other pieces of evidence collating tells us quite clearly that type 2 diabetes is a disease in the majority, a disease of excess ectopic fat. So we can, if we can help our patients lose considerable weight, they will substantially reduce um, their future risk of microvascular and microvascular disease. Finally, I would say that you need to gain an understanding of when to consider SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists so that you can apply those drugs, which do currently cost a bit more, to those patients at higher risk that will further reduce the risk on top of statins and blood pressure management, and that these drugs can be used uh, at the right time, the right patient to substantially further reduce cardiovascular risk. So I think, as I said to you at the beginning, uh, more tools to help prevent disease, uh, more tools to measure risk, um, and that more emphasis also on weight loss as well. So I think there's a lot to be encouraged about diabetes, but of course, the other big challenge is many more patients are living with diabetes, living longer. So there are huge challenges going forward. And therefore, having more tools uh, is really quite important to help mitigate some of those risks. This brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast on your favourite app or recommend us to your colleagues. We also have a website where you can find other episodes of the podcast, as well as other free educational and accredited diabetes resources. You can find a link to this in the episode notes, as well as all the references discussed today. Thanks for listening to this summary. Thanks for listening and see you next time.